How, how many of you are introverts like me that whenever Keith has us do these things like get up and say three things to each other or, or this morning get up and hug each other, and, if, and, and I'm not a hugger either, and so, so when people hug me, it's, it's one of these, go ahead and hug me. You know, I, I always uh, am challenged, but, but, but whenever he does that, whenever we do that, I think it's a really beautiful thing. Because as followers of Christ, we are brothers and sisters, and we're called to love each other. And when the world sees us loving each other, there's something really attractive about us hugging each other and us saying kind words to each other, of us going out of our way to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we look at this book of Hebrews, which is what we're in right now, Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, that's what this letter was written to. It was written to a church, reminding them and encouraging them to love each other in spite of their challenging circumstances. And uh, last week, Kelsey preached a powerful message about the importance of the body of Christ. And holding each other accountable and, and, and spurring one another on. And, and so, so the writer of Hebrews is reminding them, he, last week he, he gave them the fourth warning. And then at the end of, of Hebrews chapter 10, and remember this is written to a suffering church. A church that's being persecuted, a church that is thinking about looking back and going back to where they had come from. Back to their old lifestyle. And he, the Hebrew writer says in chapter 10, verse 32, he says, Remember the earlier days after you received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. He says sometimes you were exposed to, to insult and persecution. Other times you, you stood side by side with those who were so treated you sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. You knew that Jesus was better, and therefore you stood firm. And then he says, now don't throw away your confidence because it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what has been promised. Then he says, my righteous ones live by faith. Live by faith. And he says, if you shrink back, I will not be pleased. And so he's reminding them here at the end of chapter 10, live by faith. Don't go back to where you were at before. Jesus is better than the past. Be an overcomer. Then in chapter 11, he goes and, and he reminds them of those who lived before them. He reminds them of Old Testament believers and their faith. And you find in Hebrews chapter 11, the word faith is pretty important, and the, the, the subject of faith is pretty important. He, it's used 28 times just in chapter 11, when he's talking about people who exercised faith. 
So what is faith? That's a question I've been asking myself all week. What is faith? And how do I exercise faith? Now Webster says that faith is the unquestioned belief that does not require proof or evidence. That's what Webster says. Webster says you don't need evidence to have faith. But as Christians, we have evidence for our faith. We have evidence that, that Jesus Christ came, He lived, He ministered, He died, He was resurrected. We have proof of our faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the writer gives us a definition. He says, now faith is sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now the King James puts it this way. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Now, that word substance or being sure of means to stand under. Sort of like a foundation stands under a house and we build on that foundation. The writer says our faith is that foundation that we build our lives on. You see, Faith makes the things we hope for so real, it's as if they already exist. Faith is the solid foundation upon which we build our lives, this faith in Christ. Hebrews eleven thirteen. if you go down, it says, All these people, as he had talked about those with faith, were still living by faith when they died. They, they didn't receive the things that were promised. They only saw and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on this earth. In other words, we believed, they believed in advance of the things that didn't make sense to them at the time. We believe in advance of the things that, we, that don't quite make sense now but one day they will make perfect sense because we will view them in reverse. We will see our faith in eternity. Now here's my definition that I, um, that I found that, that I like. Faith is belief plus unbelief and acting on the belief part. Now, you're like, what, is, what does that mean? Well, so, so belief is always the first part of faith, right? Now, in the world, in the world we live in, it's hard to, to arrive at, at 100% certainty of anything. For example, whenever you step onto an elevator, you hope that the elevator will take you up to where you want to go or down to where you want to go. But you're not completely certain because you don't know the condition of the cables that are carrying that elevator. So you step on that elevator with a certain element of unbelief. Or when you get on an airplane, you're pretty sure it's going to get you there. But there's an element of unbelief that you question whether or not it will actually get you there. 
Think about the big decisions that we make in life. I mean, I think about, about when, and, and guys, you can, guys that are married, when you propose to your wife, all right, women have babies, but men have to propose. I'll, I'll stop right there. I could get me in trouble. But I remember when I began to, to really feel like um, I was ready to get married and that I was going to ask Verda to marry me. Now, I was pretty certain that she would say yes, right? But there was a part of me that was like, I think she's going to say yes, but what if she says no? And so for weeks as I was, as I was praying, building up enough faith, there were lots of sleepless nights. Because although I believed she would marry me, I wasn't 100% certain that she would say yes. How many of you guys can relate? Maybe none of you. Maybe I'm the only guy that wondered if my wife would say yes. We need faith because we don't have 100% certainty. And so we pray, we ask for guidance, we seek counsel because we need faith. And, and it is faith is belief plus unbelief and acting on the belief part. Faith is wavering between believing and unbelieving between doubt and assurance. So living by faith means we act on the belief part. In other words, faith is risk. And as you look at, uh, at these biblical examples of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, these, these people all took risks and did what God asked them to do. And verse 2, it says, and this is what the ancients were commended for, their faith, the fact that they took risk. I've been thinking about this, and you know, I wonder why we get bored with our faith. And I think the reason we get bored with our faith is because we're not willing to take risks. We believe faith is just trusting Jesus as our Savior and then going on with life as normal as we want it to be. And we never live by faith. We never do anything that requires faith, that requires risk for Jesus. I wonder if the reason that we like sports so well is because there is an element of risk when I am engaged in an athletic event, a football player, a quarterback, drops back the pass. The reason he, he loves the game is because when he drops back the pass, there's a risk that he might get pummeled. But there's also the possibility that he connects on a, on a slant pattern that goes for 60 yards for a touchdown. There's risk involved. Derek Reber plays football because there's risk involved. The potential of success as well. Volleyball. There's the risk that you could step on somebody's foot 
break your break a bone in your foot. There's that risk. But there's also the possibility that you, that you set a ball that, that gets a kill that wins the game. There's risk. For a golfer, there's the possibility that one in every ten balls goes straight when you hit it. So there's risk. And so the reason that we're attracted and consumed with sports is because we like risk. So why don't, we, why don't we embrace risk in our faith? And when I look at these heroes of the faith, that's what they did. They risk everything. You think as you look at the wall of faith here in Hebrews chapter 11, do you think they ever had any doubts about what God was calling them to? I mean, you think when Noah was building the ark, he ever wondered, why, why am I doing this? I'm hundreds of miles from any water. Why am I doing this? You ever think his family asked him, and, and Noah, what are you thinking? I mean, think about Abraham. When, when God said, Abraham, go... And Abraham said, where am I going? He said, go to a place that I will show you. Do you think Abraham ever wondered, as he was on the journey, where am I going? Why am I doing this? Do you think Abraham's wife ever asked, why are we going? What was wrong with where we were at? And yet, they went. You see, every person mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11 had to take steps of faith. They had to take a risk in the midst of uncertainty. And the, the actions that they took, they didn't do because they, they knew what the outcome would be. They did this because they trusted the God who invited them into the journey. And maybe the reason that we don't take risks is because we don't trust the God who is inviting us into this journey of faith. And when I look at these people, they were ordinary. But they were just like you and I. They had questions. They had doubts. They had families. You know, there was really nothing special about Noah, Abraham, Rahab, and all these people mentioned, other than the fact that they acted on their faith. That when God invited them into a journey, they went. And Hebrews chapter, in verse, in, in verse 6, it says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must trust and believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so, without faith, the Hebrew writer says it's impossible to please God. 
faith always means taking action. Noah, he built an ark. Moses, Moses went to Pharaoh. Rahab, think of Rahab. She let strangers into her house not knowing what would happen. Verse 30 says, the walls of Jericho fell. Why? Because people acted. It says that by faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. You think that the children of Israel, when they were started marching around the walls of Jericho, do you think they ever doubted? I mean, day one, you walk around, okay, no big deal. But day two happens, and day three happens, and day four happens. Nothing, nothing happens. It's hot, it's dry. Day five, day six, still nothing. Do you wonder if when, when Joshua got them up on, the, on, on day seven, said, okay, guys, we're going to go march. Today is the day. Do you think there were people that doubted? And yet in spite of their doubt, they went because they trusted the God that invited them into the journey. They march around the wall, and what happens? The walls come tumbling down because they acted. You see, God uses faithfulness. He used the faithfulness of these people in Hebrews 11. He uses the faithfulness of people today to do amazing things. It's not that they're such special people. It's just that they did amazing things. They were willing to take a risk because God had invited them into it. Now, as you read through Hebrews chapter 11, you know, these guys were all really successful. I mean, in, in verse 32, it says, you know, uh, um, the writer says, look, I don't even have time to talk about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel, who, those who through faith conquered kingdoms. It says they escaped the edge of the sword. They, they became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. So these guys were really successful. So you begin to think, you know, if I am faithful, if I take risks, it's always going to turn out well. Is that right? Well, not necessarily, because if you read on, in verse 35 it says, Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. In other words, they were killed. Some faced jeers and flogging. Still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, sawed in two. They were put to death. Who, who were these people? The writer just calls them others. So the others... Were they less faithful? No. They weren't less faithful. They still did what God invited them into because they trusted the God that invited them into the journey. But sometimes faith costs everything. It's not that they were weaker. 
or that they were lesser because you don't find miracles happening. If anything, they, 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 were, they were greater saints because their faithfulness, even when it cost them their lives, they didn't waver. So, so in light of, of these verses, let me give this definition. Let me add to the definition I gave at the beginning. Faith is unbelief, is belief plus unbelief, and acting on that belief without the regard of consequences. In other words, living by faith, you take steps of faith without knowing where it's going to lead, and you're okay with that. You don't care about the consequences because you trust the God that's inviting you into the journey. I mean, if you're Noah, you build the ark, you hope that it floats, right? If you're Abraham and you're sent to the promised land, you hope you get there. You hope your GPS is right and it gets you there. You hope when you're David, when you step into the valley to face the giant, that the first stone that you sling hits its mark. You hope, but you don't know. But you're willing to go. You're willing to believe in the God who invited you into the journey without regard to the consequences. David knew the God that he served. He was willing to go to the valley. He was willing to die because he knew his God. Faith means we step out and do what God asks us to do with no guarantees. You know, in the late 300s, early 400s, in Rome, the entertainment of the day in the Colosseums in Rome were, were the gladiator wars. And what that meant was Gladiators would come into the floor of the Colosseum with thousands of people watching them, and they would fight to the death. And after they had, after several hours of fighting, and there were a bunch of dead bodies laying on the floor of the Colosseum, they would turn animals loose, their lions and tigers loose, to go in and devour these dead bodies. About 400 miles away from Rome, was this guy named Telemachus, who was, a, who was a monk. And one day while Telemachus was, was tending his garden in the monastery, he felt like God was telling him to go to Rome. Now, Telemachus had never been in Rome, and, and more days went by, and, and God continued to prompt them, and, and, and finally Telemachus was like, okay, I'm, I'll, I'll go to Rome. So he packs up, and, and he heads towards Rome. When he, get, when he gets to the city, there's a great celebration happening because the Romans have just defeated the Goths. And, and, and as he gets into the city, he's still not sure why he's there, but, but he sees the people celebrating and all moving into to a certain area. And, and he realizes before long that, that it takes him into the Colosseum. 
And as he's sitting in the Colosseum, he begins to see these games unfold and men killing each other. And, and he sits there and is like, this is why God sent me. And he stands up in his seat and he said, in the name of Christ, stop. And yet he's just one in, in, in a voice of thousands of people. So, so Telemachus goes down to, to, the, um, to the fence by the Colosseum and he jumps onto the floor of the Colosseum. And he begins running around and he says again, in the name of Christ, stop. And the crowd's cheering because they think he's part of the act, sort of like a, a circus clown. But soon they realize he's not, and they begin to yell, kill him, kill him. And eventually, one of the gladiators comes over and sticks his sword into Telemachus, and he falls to the ground. And as he's laying on the ground, he says one more time, in the name of Christ, stop. And as the people watch Telemachus bleed to death on the floor of the Colosseum, the gladiators look at him and, and something amazing happens. They begin to throw down their swords and walk out of the Colosseum. And, and quietly, the, the, the crowd that had assembled to watch this carnage quietly exits the Colosseum. We're told by historians that this was the last time that an event like this ever happened in the Colosseum in Rome. Now let me ask you, Telemachus, did he trust God? Absolutely. Was he a man of faith? For sure. Did he obey God? Yes, he did. Did he have doubts? I'm most certain that Telemachus had doubts. But he acted on the belief part without regard to the consequences, knowing that this could cost him his life. You see... For Telemachus, living by faith in the end meant dying for his faith. But he made a difference in the world. And as I think about this thing of faith, and that faith is costly, faith is risky, think of Jesus who died on the cross for me. And I ask, what about my faith? What, what about my faith? You see, to be a disciple of Christ means to follow him. Jesus died for me. In Matthew chapter 16, it says, If any of you wants to be a follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. It says, If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. 
But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. If anyone wants to be a follower, you must turn away from your selfish ways. And I asked myself this week, what are the selfish things that keep me from following Christ? What are the selfish, selfish things that we engage in that keep us from following Christ, that keep us from living by faith, that keep us from taking risk? Because there's something we love about risk, or we wouldn't be so consumed with athletics. But what about risk for our faith? What about being willing to risk for Christ who gave everything? And when I engage in this type of faith, when I, when I get on the Jesus road and I follow him, I pick up my cross and I go after him, there are no guarantees in this life. You know, there, there's no promises, no special deals but there is this promise that we see in 2 Timothy where, where Timothy says, I fought, or Paul says, I fought the good fight. I, I have finished the rape. I have kept the faith. Therefore, there is now in store for me a crown of righteousness. You see, we have to believe what is in the future. We have to believe that what we are living for is much greater than what we have here. We have to believe that we are aliens and strangers, that we don't belong here. But we live, live as if we're going to be here forever. We're working for something greater. We're working for a city, a place where we will live for all of eternity with Christ if we believe. Following Jesus requires risk. We must live by faith. And brothers and sisters, if, we, if you are bored with your faith, if you are bored with church, if you are bored with reading your Bible, if you are bored with praying, then you're not risking anything. You're not living by faith. Because there's no place in our faith for us to be bored. question is, are we ready to follow Jesus wherever he leads? Wherever. Because that's all he wants from us. And you ask, I ask the question, but, but what if I say I'm ready to follow Jesus I'm ready to do whatever he asks me to do, to go wherever he leads me. What if he asks me something that, that I can't do on my own? And he will. He will ask you to do things you can't do on your own because then it requires faith. It requires him. Because I promise you this. If you decide to follow Jesus, 
He will ask you to do impossible things, and then he will help you to accomplish the impossible things that he's invited you into with him. Ask Telemachus. Ask Noah. Ask Abraham. It's about us when when, when we decide to follow Jesus Our part simply is to be obedient, to take one step at a time, to allow him to lead us. Now, I remember years ago when when I was wrestling with a calling, and and one one afternoon I was preparing a a study for for our youth group, and I was watching, watching Life on the Edge video series by James Dobson. And he was talking about following Jesus. And I remember one young girl, she raised her hands and she said, she said, Dr. Dobson, when you're called, how do you pursue that? What do you do with that? And Dobson said, he took her to Psalm 119, verse 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He said, that lamp, It gives you enough light to take one step at a time on the path. One step. You see, those one steps, that's faith. You see, what we want, what I want, is I want to know where this is taking me. I want a spotlight to take me to the end of the path to know what the cost is going to be. God says, trust me. Read my word. Ask me. I will give you enough light to take one step. And then another step. And then another step. And we begin to see God's plan unfold for us. Faith means taking one step. Taking the next step in front of you. And leaving the rest in the hands of God. And active faith, brothers and sisters, releases the power of God. And we don't see him working because we're not taking acts. We're not stepping out. We're not doing what he invites us into. And when we begin to do that, we will see God do incredible things in our lives and in our community. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. By faith, Rahab. By faith, the walls of Jericho. By faith, Dwayne. By faith, Gary. By faith, Nate. By faith, put your name there. By faith, what is God inviting you into? as his child, and your faith, that risk that he's inviting you into will be the most incredible journey that you ever, ever enter into. And I guarantee you will never be bored ever again with your faith, with your prayer and your Bible reading and your fellowship if you enter into the journey with him. This morning I'm inviting you into that journey with him by 
right day. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the incredible examples that we are given in your word um, by men and women who live by faith, who risk everything, who gave their lives to follow you and to be obedient to the plan that you had for their lives. Father, would you, would you this morning give us uh, just, just enough faith to live the rest of the day? Lord, would you give us faith to take small steps? Lord, as we read your word and we pray, would you, would you shed light on our next steps of, of the things you're inviting us into? Give us the strength, the wisdom to, to enter into this journey. And Father, as we do, our desire is that we would, we would honor and glorify you with our lives, with our faithfulness, that we would please you with our As we leave this place, Lord, show us one or two things this week that we can begin to walk our faith the way you desire for us to walk it. It's in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen.